Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 4, titled Gloves Off. Uh, I think it's pretty apparent what the title's all about. Gloves come off uh, in a couple ways. I think between Chuck and Jimmy, and also between uh, Tuco and Mike. And off Tuco's chain. <laughs> they they do, yeah. The gloves are taken right off Tuco. Uh, Which begs the question, how does he get it back? I Good question. I bet that that implies there's more story. There's more story to be told. Yeah, five to ten down the line. Like, I mean, I guess Tuco could just say, "Hey, man, I, I want some more golden gloves with diamonds." Like, oh, just get another pair. Yeah, right. Yeah, he could. I don't think those are exclusively crafted by Jacob the Jeweler or anything. <laughs> they, they might be custom. They might be. Yeah, I'm, I'm Tuco's sure the custom, kind of guy, that but he seems like the kind of guy to just show up at a jeweler place until and beat their ass until they get it right. You know, that's right. that's the motivation to get a nice I said replica. Eight diamonds, bitch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I really like this episode. I think I thought this it was the good. best episode of, uh, of Better Call Saul. It had uh, Chuck and Jimmy going toe to toe. It also had a Mike caper, which I always love. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good stuff in this one. It's it's an effective use of uh, Tuco. Uh, yep. It had our old pal Max Arseniega playing Crazy 8 again. Right. It had Drew Thompson. The man has clearly made a deal with the devil because he's not aged a day in 10 years. <laughs> right. That's some yeah. clean living, Max. That's what happens. You go to Hollywood, you get all uh, famous, you start eating nothing but kale. It, you turn into Rob Lowe. You, you turn do. into Brad Pitt. You do. You're the Latino uh, Rob Lowe. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, I think it's this, this better call Saul had it all. It had the humor, it had the drama, mm-hmm. it had the action, uh, it moved the plot along pretty efficiently. Yeah. The relate, I mean, it's, it's a really dense jam packed little episode. Yep. Absolutely. Should had we some get in? excellent practical effects. I mean, that's some, Mike's face is a horror show. Uh, you might be wrong about that. Really? That might be something you hadn't thought about, but we'll get there. Oh. Uh, it, we'll it, get there in the first scene, actually. Oh, no. Uh, do we want to start with the recap, or do we have anything else? I don't think we have about? anything else. Okay. Let's get into it. Mike gets home after a long day, the longest day, I might say, mm. for Mike so far. Uh, except maybe the, the night where he killed his son's murderers. Or That's all, those, all those nights I imagine he spent in the jungle. The jungle nights. Those uh, might have been some bad nights. Sleeping on Stacy's lumpy couch. Yeah. That night was pretty long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Waiting for uh newspaper gunshots. <laughs> uh he he comes home, he's a little bit richer, he's a lot more bruised, and he has a pair of diamond encrusted boxing gloves. Yes, he does. And I, I look at the man shuffling in and I'm like, Okay, that's Mike. Obviously, look at the shuffle. But then I noticed, man, he's really shuffling. He's, he, and, he, like, and he's huffing and puffing, grunting yeah. and groaning. More than usual. Yeah. So it was it, that reveal when he pulls those that bag away from his face and just oh and i had the reaction i'm like who the fuck beat mike like a little boy yeah and then i saw the golden gloves i'm like oh wait a second (laughs) he got in a fight with tuco and didn't die so like i i I was like i want to see the other guy like and then i started thinking wait do i believe that jonathan bank could outbox tuco and i just fell in this like oh i don't you know you start worrying you start wondering like oh man how's this gonna go down but yeah I think they pulled it off. I do, too. Totally believable. Plus, Jonathan Banks has got that Homer Simpson head. What do you mean? Like, it's just, it's so, his head is like a perfect sphere. Oh, okay. And it, like, bulges out in the side. It's like those funky concussion helmets that some NFL players wore in the 80s. Uh And I feel like, you know, that's a natural shock absorber. All right. He he can take that kind of punishment without permanent harm. 
I think so. Even as a as as a senior citizen. Right. Like I I he's almost a superman in my opinion. Sure. Like it takes a lot to kill Mike. And, sure. Uh and this did not do it. No. Uh I I think I want to say we've seen those gloves before in the junkyard in Breaking Bad. Oh no, yeah, it's I remember like I immediately knew those were Tuco's, yes. but I I wasn't sure exactly where I saw them. I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure that they established him wearing it in Breaking Bad and also I'm I think that might be the first thing we saw when he opened the door in last season. I, I think they're also featured last season as well. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. But they're definitely like right up there with his grill as recognizably Tuco affectations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so talking about Mike's swollen eye here. Did you know that this was I I listened to the Insider podcast. This was actually a visual effect. Like a special CG? digital effect, yeah. Because Jonathan Banks either didn't want to do the makeup or couldn't wear the makeup for some reason, and so they were talking he about has parchment oh. skin that would just <laughs> yeah. slough off if it had any kind of thing attached to its structure. So they put like white dots, you know, the the point of reference dots, My and they God. digitally made that. It looks seamless, man. Because they did like three different states of it too. Yeah, maybe four if you count the like. I'm get actively getting beat by Tuco. Right. Then there was showing up, uh, like at at uh, showing up at the meet with Nacho, and that was like the maximum swelling. And then later yeah. on, or earlier on in the episode when he had a chance to put ice on it, I would ne- I would have bet a lot of money that that was a practical effect. Right. It looks so good. Things have come. I mean, <laughs> you know, you think about the Gus effect mm-hmm. and how cool that was, but you could still kind of tell. Yeah, a couple years later, and I had no idea. I'm amazed. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it reminds me of, like, you know, in Breaking Bad, where there were similar characters, uh, characters with similar injuries, let's Jesse, say. Jesse, yeah. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's I didn't want to throw it right out there, but sure. Uh, for those who have seen Breaking Bad, yeah, Jesse gets beaten, and his eyes, I think, were actual physical makeup effects. Had to be. Yeah. Had to be. So, like, and know. I didn't think they, I, didn't, here, I don't think they looked as good as this. This looks really like, good. It looked savage, mm-hmm. this makeup effect. But I always thought that, like, ah, that doesn't look quite what I think Aaron Paul's face would look like if he beat the hell out of it's it. It's really do- blown up. Like... Little, little little doughy, little latexy. Oh. You know, it's not just the extent of the damage. It's just the prac. But, man, these effects were good. Wow. All right. Jimmy shows up at uh, the the... What is it, Davis and Maine? Yeah, the, the preview of the commercial. To show off his commercial to the partners. They're really upset that he cut them out of the loop here and potentially damaged their brand, which I think is their main concern. Uh, and they're thinking about firing him, but Cliff's, Cliff believes in second chances. He's a forgiving guy, so he doesn't fire him, but he says this is strike one and two. We all know what happens on strike three. Uh, that's That's pretty much the extent of it. So we talked... Uh, pretty extensively last episode about um, you know what Cliff was going to have to say about this commercial and whether or not Saul or sorry Jimmy was uh, warranted in making the commercial given that he had reign over the department and like all that kind of stuff. Uh, turns out none of that matters. It's all about brand for them, and uh, well, that's not, kind of the thing. Not that none of it matters, just that. It's and I believe that for them. Like as soon as they said Sandpiper doesn't keep the lights on, I guess I assumed right. that this was a big case for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is more of a, you know 
I guess, fat margin type of case for them because... Right, I guess they're roughly as big as HHM, and we know that HHM was doing really sure. well even before this big case, so... Yeah, I... I mean, that my my problem with it was you... I th- and I think Jimmy knew this, you know, that, and that's why he was so duplicitous about the way he went about it, that the partners wouldn't want to do this because it is a little out there for their standards and that Jimmy would have to do a lot of right. lobbying to to get this and and or maybe they they work together to come up with something that's more artistic cuz I think Jimmy wins the argument like you got to engage people. And that's a good commercial. I don't think they were arguing that. But it's a little ta- it is it's a good commercial but it's a little tawdry. And is there anything you can do that's somewhere between that and the Meslo Maya commercial, uh-huh. you know? The Mesoamerican cuisine commercial. Right. <laughs> have you had Have you had severe gut distress after eating tacos or burritos? <laughs> if so, you may be entitled to remuneration. Uh, I think uh, Mike had some serious distress after his tacos. <laughs> his experience with nachos and, yeah. and, and, and toquitos or tuquitos. <laughs> yep. It, it uh, didn't agree with him. Uh, so, but that's their main concern is the brand, right? Sure. Like it's not it's not on brand, and it's it's like you said, maybe a little bit over the top, a little. Yeah to uh inciting i guess yeah and it's like you know again it's it reminds me those rules lawyers people they're always trying you know that's jimmy is a rules lawyer i find them to be annoying so right i mean if you get away that's i guess if he got away with it that's how i described it well you got away with it and good for you okay but -hmm. this time you didn't get away with it so you can't cry and act like you should always expect to get away with it because else we wouldn't call it getting away with it you know (laughs) right like come on something you know you probably shouldn't do sure i mean it's not like he committed a crime or anything it's not that bad it's just like but it's the same kind of rationality uh... that leads him to commit crimes right right he asks for forgiveness not for permission and And that it works sometimes for him. Here's the other brilliant thing about this episode is mm-hmm. I I remember when I watched it, I had this immediate visceral reaction of, you know, Cliff's just being an unreasonable asshole and Chuck is just being a complete douchebag asshole. This episode? This episode. And then on second rewatch, I'm like, wait a second. I'm actually going to try to take their point of view. Okay, good. And Jimmy <laughs> is like a fucking arsonist. Like, like Cliff says, it's... They all have very valid points. Now, maybe yes. they're being high and mighty and delivering it, but once again, Chuck has fucking judo-flipped my stance on him. Well, it's interesting. I'm coming to some sort of an equilibrium with those yeah, two. And because, I, yeah, because I want to talk about it more way to put it. when we get to to the big scene yes. with those two. Yep. Because there's a lot of stuff in there that makes me go, hmm, kind of on both sides. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt. So, because Jimmy, it is absolutely true that he doesn't seem to think it's one thing for him to take the risks, but he right. knew that he was putting Kim in the line of fire right after they. Ha- and if and if he didn't know, which he should have, yep, she just had that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck, <laughs> man? Like I'm honestly amazed that she didn't just shut him down on the relationship front. Yeah, she's pretty forgiving of him. She uh, must love the guy. I guess so. All right, Jimmy calls Kim, speaking of Kim, trying to get her uh, to get to her before she talks with Howard. Unfortunately, she's already in the meeting with Howard and Chuck. Uh, they're upset that she knew about this commercial and didn't tell them about it. And then they, they I chastise felt sick her. through this whole scene. Can you imagine <laughs> being in that position? Wanting to defend your friend, but and, and just, ta- also just taking, taking this shit weight, for it. Just taking this weight like a champ. Yeah. Yeah, he's she's taking the bullet for Jimmy here. She I really mean, is. For, she could, and I think 
isn't perfectly entitled to flip him and say, you know what? I'm going to think of as much about your career and your well-being as you did about mine. Yeah. And she would have been ent- perfectly entitled to it, and she didn't. Right. I don't know. I mean, honestly, what would you do? I, I feel like I would have been like, fuck that guy. Like, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, you didn't know Probably. about it because I didn't know about it. I know I would. I'm not that good. Yeah, I'm not I... that stand-up, quote-unquote, of a person. I believe people make their fucking beds and they get to lie in them. Right. No, I'm mostly with you there. I, I don't think she deserved any of this. And I think I agree she would have been right in just throwing him under the bus. But I mean, it's one thing if the boss is coming at you with cheap heat, like it's something that's bullshit. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're yeah. trumping up bullshit. That's something you might help out your fellow coworker, your your fellow working stiff. But this is a case where they just fucked you. Yeah, it's interesting here. They're, they're not – I mean – Obviously, this has not a lot to do with HHM, but they're yeah. mad at her because they they looked like fools in front of their partner law firm here. Yeah. Whatever. Their co-something. I forget the word. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the other thing is I don't even know what would you do – so, so what if Jimmy had been honest with her? The thing I guess I don't agree is is, like, did she have mm-hmm. a duty to narc on him, essentially? Would she have said anything? Would if, she have said anything, she or knew? would she have just talked Jimmy out of it? Or it's a good question. She, I'm sure she would have told Jimmy, "Look, this is not a good idea, mm-hmm. and this is going to blow up on you and probably me." Mm-hmm. And I think she would have been pretty offended after having that discussion because she's she, earlier she said she doesn't want to know about the fucking cobbler stuff, mm. that type of stuff, which this kind of qualifies as true. Uh, also, she's had the conversation where you're fucking with my career, not just your own. Now, if he comes in here and he says, I've done it again, yeah. not only did she hear about it, but he's fucking with her again, she yeah. had every right to be pissed. Yeah, agreed. So agreed. I think she would have gotten very angry. I just wonder, like, if, if the end of that conversation with Jimmy, you can't do this, if he says, okay, you're right, I won't, and does it anyway, then she could just say, I told him uh, you can't do this, he agreed, and I had no, and then, then it's I not mean, that's even... relationship over. Like, yeah, you have to. But then if yeah. he says, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway... Does she need to go to Howard and Chuck? Mm. Like, I feel like you probably, like, going... I think their claim is dubious. Like, their anger is a little... A little too picky for me. Yeah. Because it's not them. They didn't make the commercial. They had nothing to do with this. It's not like... But it does reflect... I do believe, even though I think it's a little bullshit, it does reflect on their judgment. It absolutely does. But not publicly and only to this other law firm. when someone... But, like, I mean, that's the reason I don't... Like, I've had asshole friends and family members ask for me to... Uh, you know, vouch for them. Recommend a podcasting network to them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, vouch for them and or, you know, give them a good reference. And I've had to have uncomfortable conversations. Like, I can't do that. I mean, right. if you want me to use me as a reference, I'm going to only be able to give them the, well, yeah, he, I did know he worked there, blah, blah, blah. And that's not the answer you want me to give. Right, because they'll ask more questions. Yeah, and honestly, most of the time it ends in the end of the relationship, and I'm only too happy. <laughs> right, right. It's like good. They're at their. I've rinsed them out of their hair. Right here. Uh, all right, let's move on. Jimmy calls Kim. Or sorry, we just did that. Actually, no. I, I want to stick to the end of this scene because. Did you listen to the Insider podcast? Did you get a chance? Okay, so I'll need to explain a little backstory. That's Although, a no. I, I nodded. I nodded on a podcast. Right. So. Uh, I, I probably need to do that for the audience anyway, so mm-hmm. probably a good thing. Um, 
There's a question here that Chuck asks Howard at the end. What are you going to do about Kim? Uh, and in the Insider podcast, this was a fairly uh, they made they made quite a big deal about this because we don't see the the aftermath of that. We don't oh, see yeah, no. who pushes uh-huh. for sure. what kind of punishment. Uh, we don't see how influential Chuck is on Howard. But I had a very good feeling. What's your feeling? My feeling is that just the way, the manner in which Chuck asked that question, Howard knew exactly what kind of severity. Just the same way that they had that little dance about whether he recommended Jimmy or didn't get in his way. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like that provided me all the context I needed to navigate what the next five minutes of that. And then also seeing what okay. happened to her. Yeah. Do I think Howard puts her on the farm in Doc Review or the cornfield in Doc Review just because of this thing? No, I do not. I feel like right. Chuck is, just like we said he would, is going to make Kim suffer as a proxy for hurting Jimmy. Right. Not to blackmail him or anything like that, but to just teach him a lesson. Like, this is what you know. This is what happens when you fuck a man in the ass, kind of. Right, right. I I totally agree with you. I think there's just, more to it. Just like Walter, he's teaching the wrong. He's he's hurting the wrong person to apply the lesson. Right. But what are you gonna do? And I. <laughs> well, I'll save it. I'll save it. He also, I think, Chuck is motivating. Like the other thing, I think, is that this is a scarlet letter situation where he is wanting to come down on a ton of bricks, like a ton of bricks on Kim to vaccinate her from the scourge that is Jimmy. Because I think, I think Chuck really thinks that they were like co-conspirators. And like, oh, yeah. she, she's addicted to the easy breezy way and like, you know, no to ask permission, beg forgiveness and push for gonna, the job. We're going to come down so that she never thinks like that this is going to be cool ever again, you know? Right. When it's like, oh, it's she like, already didn't think it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like in the old timey cartoons and stuff, where it's like your dad finds out you're smoking. Well, you're gonna have to smoke this whole pack until you puke. Yeah. Ah, you think smoking's great now? I mean, that's kind of what he's doing there. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's the impression I got too, given what they were saying about it. Unfortunately, Kim's just going to end up getting addicted to nicotine and not be able to stop. <laughs> Isn't she already? That's the I mean, she smokes. I'm mixing. I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> gotcha. Like All a right. cocktail. Mike and Nacho are talking about how they're going to get rid of Tuco, kind of in a parking lot here across from the taqueria. Uh, Mike thinks Nacho's plan is sloppy and asks Nacho, are you sure you want to kill Tuco? Nacho tells the story about how Tuco killed Dog Paulson and he got a fragment of skull in his collarbone. Pretty hairy story. Uh, yeah, pretty nasty. Uh, and we, I guess we get the origin of how Tuco became addicted to... Uh, crank is mm-hmm. what he calls it here. Eventually, he moves on to meth. We know mm-hmm. at some point. Yep. Uh, what are they selling right now? Are they still selling crank? Well, what's interesting is this also ties Peanut back to Breaking crank. Bad because when when Walt started making the blue stuff, there's a conversation with um, uh, uh, his brother Hank and uh, Gomi. Okay. And they're talking about how, like, this is a recipe they haven't seen since that one trucker gang was making that, like, toilet crank or something like that. And I feel uh-huh. like that that was a reference to this era of this this era of Tuco's life. Could be. The Tuco was behind that, too. That's, you know, that this is something that Hank and Gomi been on the chase for a long time. I don't uh, have any evidence of that. I just say that's my that's the way it fits together in my head. There is an interesting direct connection to Dog Paulson. Oh, when, really? When, uh... It, 
when they're first on to Tuco in in the DEA, yeah, uh, in Breaking Bad, Hank comes in and he gives this speech. He puts Tuco's uh, mug sure, shot up yeah. on the body, yep. and he's ta- he's announcing to the crowd there in the this is the, the office, scumbag they're off after. This is a scumbag, and he talks about like Dog Paulson and really th- this whole thing. We think he killed Dog Paulson back in the day, and like, yeah, awesome. that's all connected. It's kind of sweet. Awesome. Now this scene. It's so great because it, once again, as if we don't need to know it already, economically tells us just how smart Mark, sorry, not Mark, Mike is about this stuff and how capable. And, like, we learn so much about Mike, but not really. They're all all tantalizing pieces of a very interesting background. Yeah, he's willing to do the job, but he's not willing to do it sloppily and that's the thing like mike is reminds me a lot of this uh this character from the jack ryan series that tom clancy had um uh what was his name shit it's john something or other uh john kelly mm. okay anyway <laughs> this special forces guy who was like in the background he was like this really super cool he had a bit part in one he kept on finding more and more and more information about him, and then he eventually got his own sequel called Without Remorse, which take, takes place like 20, 30 years when he was a young man. He found out how he earned his skills in Vietnam and his Navy SEAL experience, huh. and it was awesome. And as I was watching this, I'm like, man, I would kill for – like after they get done with Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. I want a Without Remorse style Mike prequel of him in the jungle. They could do it. I'd watch it. Dude, I would watch the shit out of that. I don't know who you cast as a young – uh, Jonathan Banks, but Benedict that... Cumberbatch, he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> he can do anything, right? Yeah, no, I, he, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think that would be awesome. I'd watch the shit out of it. Right, that'd be cool. Uh, so why do you think Mike agrees to kill Tuco here? But and I mean, this kind of ties into why he changes his mind later. Because I think he buys into the concept of justice and you know this certain street justice, and I think Nacho. He thinks Nacho as a fairly smart uh, criminal who probably doesn't get his hands dirty and is trying to do just kind of get by in life and not hurt anybody. And it, it strikes me as a little bit uh, putting a little too much faith in Nacho, though. Because telling the truth, Mike sure. has Mike has never really, Mike, as far as I know, Mike has never met Tuco, so he doesn't know what a lunatic. But he this does. Guy is. He did look beneath. He did do some background research and know he's connected with the Salamanca gang, right. which also tells you tells you a lot. The, yeah. He comes off the cartel branch, uh-huh. um, and also I think that Mike has a fairly well developed lie detector himself. Uh, like sure. how many times yeah. he's seen him look at someone and then he just kind of like scoffs, like uh-huh. "Yeah, this is bullshit." So I feel like again, you know, to to the extent that you can buy into the concept of vigilante justice, you have to believe that your hero can can find the morals behind the morals, you know, or the morals behind the the law. And I guess Mike has done that and it's like, okay, I need the money. This Tuco <laughs> seems like a lunatic. My my right. my neighborhood's in better hands with Nacho than Tuco. Gets rid of the cartel. Like I mm-hmm. guess that's how I would break it down. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean again it's it Batman to... logic. It doesn't Right, it doesn't hold up in the, the harsh light of sure. day. Uh but I it seemed a little quick for Mike to go from selling pills to killing someone, so I'm glad he changed his mind in the end. I agree. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I think that was the right way for Mike as a character to go. It would have really done an interesting thing to his character arc. The The trajectory had gotten a lot steeper. Yeah. But this, I felt, was just right. Okay. So Jimmy goes over to HHM to find Kim, who is in the basement doing paperwork. 
Uh, he tries to apologize and says he'll he also, talk to Hamlin. He note right. that he 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 socially engineers his way into the building. <laughs> right, he right. Can't I stop scamming ink, uh, Inkwell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he says he'll talk to Hamlin, he'll make it right, and she's like, no, no fucking no way, because yep. you're just gonna make it worse. If you do that, we're done, and she sends him off. And there's just such a great, great pacing to the dialogue, when he's like, you know, who would have thought this would happen? I told you this would happen. He can't possibly blame you for this. I warned you he would. <laughs> like, she's, she's got right. him dead right, dead cold, and why doesn't she say, I don't want anything to do with you? She likes him too much. He's is too much sex fun. That good? Well, no, I, I don't know how good the sex could be with Jimmy. It's borderline Kevin Costner. Although he is, I will say he lives in the moment, so maybe, maybe it's all right. I'm uh, not ruling it out. I'm not ruling out that Jimmy is a wild man in bed. Sure, sure. He's probably entertaining in bed at least. He can do some tricks. He's got <laughs> sure. a few up his sleeve. Sure. Maybe a hidden dollar coin or something you, yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you give him a quarter, take him to a truck station, <laughs> truck, truck truck stop bathroom watch the you magic be, happen you might be surprised with what he comes out with sure <laughs> i buy that uh but th- the interesting thing to me here is is how kim sees jimmy and why she's saying don't go to howard because he will only make things worse jimmy thinks about the short-term win he does not think about the consequences of his actions and that's at all totally right and she yeah she's right on right on kim yeah uh and i I like that she didn't break up with him. I kind of want them to stay together, even though maybe she's he's not great for her, but do you they're, think they're cute can together. Make, what you, can I say? Yeah, and do you think he can make this right? I feel like he might be able to make this right. But he's. I feel like he'll just dig himself in deeper. That doesn't make it right. Yeah, you're probably right about that. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he does. I, just, I, I guess I like that she didn't break up with him, too, only to the extent that I think she is a more calculated, like... She doesn't want to make a snap decision either way. Right. Like, I'm 99% sure I'm going to break up with you, but I want to sleep on it a day or two because I can always break up with you later. That's true. And let's take note, the the one and two strikes that Cliff gave him, he's just had those with Kim, too. So, yeah, that's a good one that's more good fuck comparison. up and he's done. Because I will say this. We didn't talk about this on the analysis of, of the Clint stuff or the Cliff stuff, rather. I feel like Cliff is kind of persuaded by the quality of the commercial and the economic argument of it. He, he's pretty wrapped. Like I could have, I think I, I wonder if Jimmy had come to them, if, if they wouldn't have maybe toned down the commercial a little bit, mm-hmm. but also it's like, okay, air this in the major markets that we don't operate in. Right. Cause this is a multi-state deal. You will get thousands of phone calls and we won't offend any of our toffee nose clients. It it was funny to me that he was like, "You used your own voice in the commercial." Sure. Who gives a shit? Well, it if you know, it comes off as low rent. If you know, I mean, we and, know he's Bob Odenkirk, and he probably would do his voiceovers on the reg, so it doesn't. But yeah, and I also noticed he kicked it up the goofy Jimmy notch a bit on the a voiceover bit, yeah. to make his line make sense. You know, uh, you used your own Godfrey. Just such a unprofessional deal, right? Uh, Jimmy goes to Chuck's house, where he finds Chuck curled up on the couch under his space blanket. Uh, he gets him some water, and he sits nearby for the, the night. This is an interesting scene, because mm-hmm. Jimmy, even with a full head of steam, prepared to do battle, cannot ignore what he thinks is his brother's bullshit disease. He's got to go yeah. out there and put his shit in the mailbox, and already I'm like, oh, Jimmy... 
Jimmy, you're surrendering already. <laughs> and then when he comes in there, right? The the real meaty question is, did Chuck do this defensively? Oh, interesting. Okay. Because there's, there's a charitable way to look at this, which is Chuck has been extending himself to be the hall monitor for Jimmy, and as soon as he caught him in a violation, that used up the last vestiges of his, his strength, and he had to retreat back underneath the space blanket. The uncharitable uh, uh, reading is Chuck knows he was an asshole. He knows yep. Jimmy's going to come gunning for him, so he's going to do this as a judo move to disarm him before he can get started. Right, and the real interesting thing is we've seen this reaction from Chuck before in circumstances that are kind of similar, right? Like, Chuck goes out and does his Slip and Jimmy thing. Uh, Sorry, Jimmy goes Uh out and does his Slip and Jimmy thing. Uh Uh, And Chuck, it's it's tough to tell if he's doing this as, like, uh, some sort of guilt reaction or if he can't live with what his brother's doing and it's causing him mental distress yeah that he can't fix it there because even if you take the uncharitable i guess plot you have to decide whether it's unconscious or conscious behavior sure like oh jimmy's gonna come for me so i'm gonna go suck my thumb underneath his blanket or all the stress and the strain of this on my relationship is bringing on these the, the the this mental illness yeah no that's a that's a real good question and i I don't think I have a solid answer to it. And that's why I think it's so damn brilliant about the show, because yeah. I keep going back and forth on those questions. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're waffling. It's because they're continually showing me different facets of the same uh, the same problem, the same character. Yeah. So I'm changing my mind to new information. So if I had to guess, uh, based on the insider cast, I'd probably say uh, it has to do with, with how he treated Kim. Um, cause I, I think there's more to that scene where Chuck and Howard are going, what are we going to do about Kim? Yeah. One of the things that led me to this whole try to watch the episode two ways is because I've been surprised in all the insider cast that I've listened to how much more sympathetic they take Chuck's actions than I would just as a watch, which makes me think that, right. you know, it's another one of these situations where they're writing a character to be deliberately unlikable, but if you go and peel back and try to look at it from a different reference point, they don't look as, as extreme. And we're getting into the the very, the very heart of it here. We got to do a a Mike gun show thing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. The the private gun show. Well, no, that's actually after. Okay. No. So it goes away for the night. Yeah. And then, yeah, we go to Mike meeting with his, uh, weapons guy to buy a rifle. He only kind of sort of likes the M40, um, but ends up changing his mind and not buying any of them. The I end. think he loves the M40. It's just he's changed his mind. Well, I mean, he says it's a real piece of shit in the jungle. Of course, he's in a desert, so that doesn't matter. Well, and also, they got the fiberglass stock rather than the wood one. Oh, so. that's true. That's true. Which that's So that tells us, I think they tell us that he is a Vietnam-era Marine sniper. Yes? Absolutely. And because, they, they say that in the Insider cast. Okay, because, I mean, the fact that he's using the wood stock and the guy said they replaced it in 1970 mm-hmm. says that he had to be. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, and he's I, t- you know, he's talking about running around in the jungles. I mean, it's pretty pretty obvious where he was. Yes. When he was using his M40. Which I think is totally, totally exciting. Yeah. And I mean, and and just the way Jonathan Banks does the like, you know. First of all, I love the black market gun guy. I love him every single yep. time we get to see him. I have more and respect for this guy, and I love the fact that this universe has 
just the same way like John Wick had the whole gold coin economy and uh-huh. you call for a di- you know dinner for 10 and like there's all this secret underworld sense. shit that you only know if you're in the secret underworld shit stuff. Right. I love it. I love it and they nail the character in that regard. Uh, I also love Jonathan Banks' very understated delivery of all this. Like, oh, you seem to know this one. Oh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it's. I don't know how he gets away with some of the shit he gets away with in this episode, but it's all awesome. It is. I, I really like it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I love about this scene and Mike is how, after handling this rifle, he wipes it down for fingerprints. Sure. Like, he knows this shit is going somewhere bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this gun's going to be used for something horrible. And just the fact that we know Mike is so smart... And Mike has his smart objection, and the guy comes back with the stempling and this other stuff. Yeah. Like, it really shows how mind-blowingly professional this Black Arms dealer guy is. And both of them, too. I mean, and then he, he gives he's, and then he gives the whole, hey, I make my money on repeat business, and yep. it's no trouble. You know, I mean... He's a professional. I like professionals. In what life. a stand-up black market arms dealer. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I mean, the ones who don't end up like Tuco. They they blow up. You know, I was just thinking, though, how... Because he's not just working with guys like Mike. He's working with dumbasses like Walt. Mm-hmm. I use dumbass. I should say naive people. How does this guy not get caught? He's selling guns to criminal elements. Well... Quasi-legal elements. Apparently, it's very, very difficult to trace them back to him. I guess so. I guess so. But still, like, he has to meet people at hotels. Yeah. They, I mean, it, like, a sting operation How you walk for in him. with three, three rifle bags and yeah, like a cop just, eyebrow, eyebrow. It feels like the cops could do a sting operation on him relatively easy. Right, right. I mean... I don't want to think too much about this because I know that it's just, hey, he's a cool guy, all right? Yeah. Just, just he's a cool can we yeah. Can we not just have a cool guy on this show? And I'm like, sure you can, Vince. I'm just saying. When and you I, really think about the economics of it, it's, it's hard for me to understand. I would say that a guy like him probably doesn't do business with people who are, A, likely to get caught, or B, likely to turn on him if they do. But Walt but was he both did of business with Walt. Like, I know, that's the thing. Walt but, is the red flag here. He is, yeah. Uh, and like if, like, well, he came highly recommended by Saul, well, nope, that's still a red flag. I mean, if he came highly recommended by Mike. I mean, he had to, right? But then uh, I got to unless... go Chuck and say, well, that doesn't reflect very well on your judgment, Mike. Right. Now, it could be that Mike. We're going to punish It Kaylee. could be that Mike just misjudged Walt, and that's kind of his arc in the story. He misjudged Walt, and I think then he, he underestimated Walt, and then he ended up dead. But. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of did all those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the arc of everybody that came up against Walter White. It's true. Oh, it's true. He's in good company. Uh, so in the morning, Chuck wakes up to see that Jimmy is still there. And Jimmy makes some tea and then brings up Kim. Chuck denies doing anything to her and blames it all on Howard. After some discussion about the, the reasoning and the details of this commercial, Jimmy tries to get Chuck to commit extortion by offering to quit the law for good if he forgives Kim but Chuck doesn't take the bait. Ah, is he trying to get him to commit blackmail, or is he uh, trying to get him to openly do what he's trying to do anyway? And and the only reason Chuck didn't go for it is because Jimmy framed it in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you're right. Well, I don't know if I am or not, man. This is a real question I have. Okay, because, when I say you're right, I mean that's part of it. Yeah, certainly. okay. Because here's the thing, like, Chuck, you can interpret, like, I think Chuck is a shit weasel. Okay. But he might he be is. a shit weasel for justified reasons. It's it's really silly to me when Chuck's like, oh, you think the ends justify the means. 
Well, guess what, Chuck? You're doing the exact same thing to Jimmy sure. here. Sure. You're, yes. you're pressing these issues because you think Jimmy is a bad guy who's giving the law a bad name, uh, and you want him out of it. You're manipulating from your end just the same way that Jimmy manipulates from his end. And also... And because and maybe you're because, doing it for right reasons, but because Jimmy is that right, matter. like most a lot of the times, the ends do justify the means. It's only when uh, okay. it's, it's only at the very end of the hmm. ends extremes where like maybe they don't, but a lot of times, okay. like the ends can perfectly justify the means. Yes, I guess so. I I just think starting from that frame of mind is not a good place to to make decisions from. I mean, it's basically the same thing as smart people know when breaking the rules is more in spirit with. It's kind of like Jesus, you know. What mm-hmm. fuck, I can't heal people on the Sabbath. Not that Jesus would say the f bomb, but he'd be like, you know, I can't. That's bullshit. That's not what the. No, he wouldn't say that either. He'd say that is. That is that is against my father's commandments, and he loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to be sick, and the Sabbath thing needs to take a back seat. The whole love everybody thing—that's what Jesus would say, right? And he'd he'd get up and wash your feet. He would. Um, but that I the other thing is when he goes, you think that life's let's make a deal. Life, pretty much ninety nine percent of times, it is. It really is. That's and, true. And Chuck seems both a hypocrite. Because he's playing the same game, even though he doesn't want to admit to it, and yep. and uh, naive. But also, he's got a point about Jimmy. Because I think, you know, Kim is just the latest example of people that he's gotten in a lot of trouble, including yep. himself, over his scamming for no good damn reason. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy has that weight to carry as well. Yeah, and this is why I'm saying, like, I'm reaching some kind of equilibrium on these characters. Where yes. I agree with both of them for different reasons, yes. and I can see why these two people, with their beliefs, would butt heads. Sure, uh, it's just unfortunate that they're they're forced together by this familial bond, you know. Well, and the other thing is, like, I think J- Chuck's the kind of asshole I probably wouldn't have much problems with because I wouldn't do the ludicrous shit that would bring out the asshole side right. of him. Absolutely. Whereas Jimmy, I would be. Finding a hole to put that guy in pretty quick. Like this, he's fun to hang out with at a bar for a night. And, and to, I've had friends like that to scam Ken wins. Yeah, no problem. Sure, but, but then when you're in a jail cell and he's like, "I can't believe this happened to us," you're like, "God damn it! Right. What did I do?" Right, and then he talks his way out of it and leaves you there for the sure. Night. Like, that can also happen. But the other time is Jimmy will come upon a, po- a point in life where he can't talk himself out to of a consequence. Right. And and unfortunately, maybe that'll happen when he's dealing with someone that he cares about. And I think sure. that's what Chuck's overall theme is. That, like, yes, you can. Life is, let's make a deal until it's not. And what is your plan when that happens? Yeah, he but doesn't think about that. If you don't give a shit about rules for 100% of the time, then you're 100% going to get caught. Yeah. I mean, everybody breaks the rules sometimes, but Jesus, you know. Yep. Some people yep. draw the conclusion from that that you can break them all the time, no consequences. Yeah, I don't think that's true. Now, do you think that? Do you think that? I guess that's what I want to talk a little more because you you don't. I don't feel like you're on my side when you're saying that Chuck was kind of trying to blackmail Jimmy, and this is what Chuck wanted. But when Jimmy framed it as, "Well, let's just make it a deal," Chuck right. got cold feet because he couldn't openly do that. And and I think I think you're right about that, and I think. Maybe the reason he doesn't do that is not because he doesn't want to 
be so blatant about it and he doesn't want to admit to Jimmy that that's what he's doing, but rather he doesn't want to do that. He's subconsciously forcing Jimmy, like storting Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And if he realized what he was doing and really thought about it for a second, he would go, oh, yeah, that's true. Like, he's he is ethical, I think, beyond everything. Like, his main thing is this is right. Mm-hmm. You should do this thing. And and that's his quest. His whole quest to get Jimmy out of the law is to keep him from doing the wrong thing with the law. Sure. And I can't really fault him for that, right? Yeah. I mean, again, I like Jimmy. I think that he is mostly, like, I'm on his side as far as, and that's maybe that's why Kim, and that's maybe why Cliff are rolling not as tough as they could because they broadly agree that, like, you know, that commercial was good and they would be fuddy-duddies for not letting you run it. And I kind of agree from... Your tactics, but your strategy's bad. Yeah. I think that's, like, again, I agree mostly with Jimmy's point of view as far as what he's trying to do, but the way he's going about it is reckless and stupid. It's true. It's true. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the line where, where Jimmy says, uh, just say the word, Chuck, and poof, no more Jimmy McGill Esquire. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking in that moment? Were you thinking about Saul Goodman? Yes. The name change I, and how that might come about. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, because no more Jimmy McGill Esquire. There's nothing about Saul, Saul Goodman. Goodman Esquire, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And if he has to officially change his name and disown his brother, he might do it. He sure. Might. So Mike meets with Nacho to tell him that he's not going to kill Tuco because he's got connections to the Salamancas and there will be this big secret he's got to keep. Instead, Mike suggests another way to get rid of Tuco. Oh my! What could it be? And then, pretty much the rest of the episode is all this. Do you want to? Do you want to talk kind of about? Yeah, let's just go through the whole it. thing. Let's or? just nah. I mean, okay. I because I, I think these this from here on out is such is such much such much greatness. <laughs> it is such much greatness. It is such much greatness <laughs> because like we had a lot of problems with the way they used Tuco in season one. Yes. Whereas. I got no problems with the way they use Tuco in season two. I'm with you. It's an incredible use of the character and his backstory. And they also kind of play against your expectations. Um, And also they get, so they get, it's funny to see crazy eight in a situation where he's so subservient. Right. Maybe I should describe this before we, okay. Before we get into it it too much. So we're at, we're at a taqueria and some bright eyed young upstart. Yep. Who we may or may not have seen in breaking bad makes a cash delivery to Tuco and Nacho. Tuco does this lie detector thing that he's apparently known for. And the, uh, his reaction when he finds the 20 that's upside down. <laughs> it's perfect. Like, what What the fuck is this? That's how I feel every time I get change. <laughs> it's the the reason I stopped using cash. Oh, no, I'm man. kidding. But I, I do get OCD about that, too. But but it's he's just, I mean, he's got to just be fucking with them. Like, this is the kind of thing you might get beat up over. Mm-hmm. You got, oh, you with give Tuco? Me, you give me a flip 20, I'm letting you off easy, punk. What are you trying to say, huh? So good. So good. And he eventually react- lets him go. So. Oh, God, it's so good. Then, just when you think the scene can't get any better, you got Mike across the street giving a false police report. Right. And we're and, like, why, why is he doing and this? And this really funny tone of voice, like, Every once in a while, Eric Walquist will do a really good one of these, our old buddies from per- Personal Arrogance, where it's like the 1950s fuddy-duddy. Uh-huh. Uh, and it totally fits, like, sure. a, a non-Breaking Bad Mike. Yeah. Right? Oh, oh, no, sir. I'm just a passerby. I don't want <laughs> to get involved. Like, it's it's like a little bit of Southern gentleman. Yeah, got A little that. bit of uh, a more, like, you know, kind of a busybody moron. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's just the way he delivers it is just priceless. Uh, and and when it looks like it's one of those gang things to me. So good. I, I like all the tie-ins with Crazy Eight here. We obviously know that that's Crazy Eight. Uh-huh. We've seen him uh, before, and there's you know talk from from him and Walt when when Crazy Eight's in the basement about like his past and like where he worked and all this kind of stuff. And they mentioned Tampico Furniture. Yep, he's, he's got wearing it right the Tampico there. thing. He's driving yep. the Tampico truck. Yep. Uh, I thought that was just really really tightly tied in, and I I like it. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, so you said Mike makes the call, and then he pulls up in the parking lot, hitting Tuco's car in the process. It's just a way, and it's the way they clip it. It's so good. It, I, and as soon as he like hit it, I'm like, oh, Tuco, this I see what's up here. He's but, gonna provoke Tuco. But it's it's amazing how finely tuned the provocation was. And I thought like right. Tuco's reaction was kind of like this kind of stoned, disassociated the disbelief. Can't believe like, anyone would dare to do that to him. This, this old man hit my car. Like I, it's. Oh, and I. It is honestly, the way Mike plays this is perfect. Sure, sure. Because he's not. He's doing everything to provoke him, but staying well within his rights as a citizen. And also, yeah. and I think it's hilarious how much restraint Tuco actually shows. Surprising amount. He's, yeah. he's doing a lot of the whole, like, you can tell he has a respect for elderly people, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, he's got this whole, like, you know, sir. It's just, it's great. And Mike flashes his money so he can tell the lie he doesn't got any later on. And, oh, uh, it's, yep. it's and, good. And uh, Tuco follows him. Like, he he goes and orders tacos. He follows him outside. Mike says, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't hit your car. I'm not giving you my wallet. Let's do the insurance thing. Tuco's not having it. And they get in a fight just as the cops roll up from Mike's phone call. And when Tuco snatches his keys and he's like, oh, come on, guys. It's, god damn it, so good. Yeah. It's so easy to antagonize Tuco as well. Sure. And I feel like, you can set I him feel off like Mike had like a little, a little timer in his head. Like, I want this to come to boil at exactly the right time. Yes. And. Listen for the sirens. He got Nacho off because Nacho says, come on, Tuco, we gotta go. And Tuco mm-hmm. says, okay, you're right, get out of here. So he's right. off the hook, I think. Yeah, it's some people it's a question that is, in feedback. So that's the only part of this plan that I feel is a little bit sloppy, like how to get Nacho out of there. Because I mean, Tuco could have just as easily said, "No, we're finishing this, and you're staying here until we do." He could have, like he could have. Tuco's unpredictable, and yes. that, that scared me a little bit. But as soon as Nacho got out of there, I was like, "Okay." And it, it's amazing, like how fast mike just just takes control of the situation and disarms tuco as soon as he pulls that gun sure like he's he's prepared in every way for tuco why Uh, did he if i were mike i think i would have tried to block some more of those those like again i know you want to get punched so this is a raging bull thing this is like an homage to raging bull where i guess jake grabs the ropes and he won't let go that's what they're supposed to do he's getting beat over and over like that's why they show his hand on the post behind him okay I thought it was because Mike was trying to make this calculation of like I'm not strong enough to hold this guy back. I need him to stay here, right. so I'm going to right. t- I'm going to be a human chain and just take the punishment. I think it was also like delaying so they could see him. But getting that beaten. the, the but, fact that yeah, it immediately makes sense now. Okay. Yes, of course it is. All right, all right. Uh, and I love that final punch because it's sure that is Tuco in a nutshell. You know what? I'm fucked. I'm fucked anyway. They saw this. I'm going to go all the way. Yeah, and his laugh about just like... <laughs> perfect. Yeah. He's lucky he didn't get shot. That's the only thing I'll say about Tuco. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, we knew he, they, that he couldn't get killed, so... Right, right. That's true. It's pretty pretty bad. Uh, pretty good plot armor. 
Yep. Anything else about this scene, or should we go to the warehouse? Uh, long fade to black. I thought it was going to be the end of the episode. I kind of thought so, too. I wondered if, like, Mike was going to go to the hospital. Like, we're going to see him wake up, because, you know, he got concussed, I would say. Right, but he just had a little bandage on his face mm. when when we saw him with the peas or whatever. Yeah, but if you black out and you get taken to the hospital, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Right, the like, cops It was an awfully long fade to black, is, is what I'm saying. It was. Uh, so Mike rolls up to the warehouse to meet Nacho and tells him that Tuco will be going away for five to ten years, uh, given all the details of the the uh, situation. Nacho pays him 25000 and asks why the hell he went to such lengths to avoid killing Why the Tuco. hell would you take a pay cut? What do you mean? Uh, I don't know why I fit the... I was surprised when he said 25000 In fact, my first instinct was that Nacho was shorting him. Why would you take 25000 to get beat up by someone and 50000 to kill them? I guess this well, is a from, lot less risk. From Nacho's perspective, it's also not a... God, I almost said final solution. Yeah. It's not a final solution, right? It's uh-huh. it, Tuco might make connect the dots. He might cause trouble from within jail. Like it helps Nacho out significantly, but it may not be the ultimate answer. But then again, it seems like it's materially superior to getting the Salamanca and the Mexican involved so. and the cartel involved and all the heat that's and like you know that. You know, the cops have rules that kind of limit their behavior and who they can target, but the cartels just be like, could go into maximum yeah. paranoia mode and rub out everybody. Sure. So I feel like all those things you say are true, but they're still a better alternative to the original plan. And it had, a, you know, like, again, a 10-year effect. That's a lifetime for a criminal. Like, Yeah, Nacho could be dead by then. Who knows? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I really like how they make Nacho out to be... N- you know, a lot smarter than Tuco. And, uh, I don't know about smarter, but not a user. Okay, a, because, a lot more predictable and a lot more careful than Tuco. Sure, uh, yeah. Um, but he's nowhere near as careful and smart and predictable as Mike, Because there, which is awesome. The, yes, the lens I look at Tuco from is his uncle and mm-hmm. his cousins. Um, okay. They were all ruthless, straight-up badasses, and I feel like Tuco did, if, if he never touched the stuff he might have been able to go down that route, but he short-circuited himself when he started taking the crank and then moving on to the meth and et cetera. Yeah, the, Nacho does paint that picture, I guess, that it was really the Well, the I'm just saying, look at, his, look at where, look at all the rest of his family yeah. and the gang. Like, they didn't seem like they were lightweights. In fact, it was everything Gus could do to outfight him. So Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, that is the big question, right? Why doesn't Mike uh, want to kill Tuco? But I Why lo- does he avoid it? I love that reaction because it's like, if I have to explain it, you'll never understand. So right. I... But I, I want to theorize here. Is it because Mike just doesn't want to kill anyone? I think Is that's it. Is it because it. he knows that there will yeah. be ramifications from the Salamancas? Like, yeah. he's doing Nacho a favor? Um, Like, what is... are the, are the Is it all the above? I mean, people don't want to kill people. That's right. the reason why, like, any religion you look at, that's one of the A number one laws. Uh, I that's think why morality, you... period. That's no, But I'm saying that religions are reflective of, of inborn ethics and morality in a lot of cases, and that, like, also it's a universally a crime in every human culture currently that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, there's, like, a really strong, like, a lot of military training is overriding that instinct to not kill each other, so... I think that there is a value in not doing that any more than you have to, especially right. when you're talking about cinematic heroic characters. Yeah, and Mike's certainly that. 
Okay. He's probably uh, done enough killing. You know, that's the other thing. If you start falling down, like, you know, military sniper and uh, Vietnam, he's probably killed a lot of people already. That's actually a really good point, And it might be actually why he changes his mind. He realizes how unpleasant that's going to be um, and, as he's handling that M40 and kind yeah. of going back into that yeah. headspace where he was in Vietnam, yeah. potentially. And the fact that, like, who knows what he did in, as a corrupt cop in Philly. Right. And, like, he responded, you know, that in the, in the death of his son. So I think there's a lot of, it's essentially, if I have to give you a speech about the value of human human life, you won't, if you're asking me, you won't get it and you won't be persuaded. I know? guess it surprises me that Nacho doesn't get it a little bit more. Because he was always the more reserved of the two. And granted, maybe he's a killer himself. It but probably is. Don't but... you think that's also a little bit of a parallel with Jimmy asking him, why did you not take the million dollars and one yeah. and a half million dollars when you have it? It's one of those things where I think both of those people already know. That that's the other thing. I th- Mike suspects they already know the, the answer. And they're just basically saying, if I were in your position, I wouldn't have made the same call because I guess I'm a less ethical, moral person than you. (laughs) So I think he's tried. That's another one. It's like, why would I bother explaining something you already know? And you're asking rhetorically. Okay. Well, that's it for the episode. Cool. It was a good one. It was like, again, I, I'm trying to think of one I like better from this season or last Any. Last season, I really loved the confrontation between Chuck and Jimmy. I like I that, that too. Episode but was great. You had I love the heist episode. Right, right, but smaller versions of it. I feel. Yeah, but it's like so. That do first you... time, it was very, very raw, very confrontational. I, I guess it's like you know, do you like uh, strawberry or chocolate or vanilla, or do you like Neapolitan? Well, it's like do <laughs> this I like... is the Neapolitan tub of ice cream episode. You're right, it is, and I usually throw out the strawberry because it's bullshit. There you go. See, uh... got to have the strawberry. <laughs> Gotta have the so strawberry. So I'd rather have like, but, but it feels to me like you're eating a tub of chocolate ice cream, and mm-hmm. someone says, "Here's some more chocolate ice cream." I'm like, it's good. It's chocolate ice cream. Mm-hmm. It's just that I've I've had chocolate ice cream before. Mm. It's not a new experience for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas first time they they butted heads, I was like, "Yeah, come on, right on." Jim, have you heard about this club dot com thing? Uh, I've heard of it. I have no idea what it's about, though. It's this club you can join, and uh, you, you get access to these private feeds where you don't have to listen to advertisements anymore, which okay. is pretty cool. And also, these this, this Jim and Aaron guy, they're recording exclusive content just for club members. Hmm. Like, yesterday, they just uh, dropped the first episode of the Walking Dead Michonne playthrough. Okay. Uh, they pissed themselves laughing. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, and and then, uh, you know, this, this week, they're going to watch uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. And That's get right. a full spoiler review just for club members uh, the fall, that that Friday, so they can like you know uh, have have something someone to discuss the movie with, or if they're on the fence about seeing it, they can get the review. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty compelling features, a bunch more stuff. If if people go to club.baldmove.com, they can they can check all about it. Okay, sounds good. Should I go there? I, you know, it's I'm not I'm not trying to be a pusher. Uh, oh, okay. But yeah, you can. <laughs> If you if you're willing to to spend a buck a month, I'll take fifty cents of that. Cool, sounds good. Uh, shall we get the feedback, sir? Yep. Barry C starts us off, says, "In your discussion on the last podcast, you hit on something that causes me anxiety about this show, namely all the actors playing characters much younger than they are. <laughs> Whenever I write in the Walking Dead podcast, I tend to make a comment to the effect that this show needs a time jump because Carl's grown another foot and he's not a convincing nine year old. And Better Call Saul, I have the reverse issue in which there's too many older actors." 
Hmm. To be honest, I've never I have fully suspended my belief on Bob Odenkirk, who is playing what a thirty five year old. Eh, I'll take it. Yeah, but I worry about Michael McKean and Jonathan Banks because they're now both almost seventy. How many seasons can they still do this? I hate to be morbid, but we huh. lost a lot of great celebrities this year below that age, and I just can't help but feel that we surely only have one more season before a big time jump to a post Breaking Bad uh, year. Uh, regarding the relative age of the cast, <laughs> oh, go okay, ahead. no, 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 keep going. He says he has assumed like we did that Chuck was a much older brother, and both Jimmy and Hamlin saw more as. Uh, saw him more as a father figure than someone of a similar age, but then we mm-hmm. saw a family picture of Chuck and Jimmy, and it looks like there's only a few years between them. Do you Weird. agree that for purely purely practical purposes, we might need to see a big ass time jump if we have more than three more seasons or more than three se- seasons? Period. Let's uh, say you, Jim. No, I mean I've gotten over the problems I had with the visual aspect of these actors looking older than they were breaking bad so-called morbid angle uh i think jonathan banks worries me a bit a bit but i don't know so i i've heard him give interviews and stuff and he he's a lot like mike you got bad the way he speaks (laughs) sure uh i'm a little more worried about him than i am michael mckean i think michael mckean's got some life in him uh and you see it in this episode like you can see the man is not in terrible health okay Jonathan Banks, man, it's you just his demeanor. I, terrible health. It's his demeanor. I can't shake uh, the the feeling that that reflects an inner problem. I think that people die sometimes, and I what? Yeah, sometimes uh, people well, always die. Everyone dies, but yeah. these, you don't all you don't die. You die sometimes. You die one time, <laughs> and and it's very variable on, on when that happens. Uh huh. But I think that um, that's just you can't shy away from that to tell your story, and you can't also bar- go looking to borrow trouble. So you write the stories you write with the people that you write them for, and if one of them dies, that's where you know you you, you what do you do with that? Do you recast right. them like a, the Matrix? Do you do you just have them die off screen and, and make that part? Of, I mean, you have that's that's just kind of what you got to do with these characters, and I think that that's yeah. something that. Every creator, uh, probably. I mean, I don't think he planned for it, but I do. I think Vince and, right. and Peter and, could get us out of that hole if the worst would happen. And you sure. look at like people who really died unexpectedly, like a Heath Ledger, a Paul Walker, those kind of guys. You know, they died in the middle of their work. It's yeah. like also well, very young guys you wouldn't expect would exactly. be. You know, exactly. So. Yeah, I, I don't think you write with that idea in mind. I, I think, you know, that's a little bit of of ageism, I guess. And sure, you know, I'm somewhat sen- sensitive to that given the industry that I worked in before this. Sure, where that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. People just assume, oh, well, they're getting old, they're useless. Let's yeah, write them off. That's why I have to be podcast till I die now because <laughs> I turned forty this year. They don't let you back into the tech bullpen. Eventually, you'll be out of the loop on this too, and it'll be <laughs> no good. So people already forty years old. So, you know, turn it off. <laughs> You're not there yet. Um, I, you know what? I think, hmm. you know, I, I, I spent the last six years watching Downton Abbey, and I used to really worry. It's like, man, what would happen if uh, Maggie Smith dies because she's such a huge part of the show? Yeah. I and mean, she never did. All right. So, and if she did, I, I think they could have written it in. Now, it's really it's hard for this because you can't really write a person's death into it. But you could have, you know, it'd be interesting to say, like, what would Stacy and Kaylee, Kaylee do if he had to, like, take off for some reason like could you start an episode where you 
there's a little mystery about where has Mike gone, and then you find a note that he's had to leave, which would give context to how he could leave Kaylee at the, you know, that's like maybe so. There's they could they could arrange something. Yeah, but you're right; they can't just have him die off screen. But it's cause... no fun speculating on real people's death. I mean, I hope he has. Right. I hope that I hope they both have another twenty years of active career left in them. Maybe it'll be the the Robert Redfords of their generation. Indeed, or I guess they're they're of Robert Redford's generation. Yeah. I, Pretty close. Yeah, they're you know I wouldn't I'd call them contemporaries. Okay. Uh, Dean from California says, "Does anyone think that when Sandpiper loses the lawsuit uh, and has to file for bankruptcy, there are going to be a lot of senior citizens being tossed into the streets?" Huh. What a dagger, Jimmy. Probably Jimmy gets a big class action settlement, but it's not enough to provide for these people in perpetuity, and they get ooh that would be. That would be a real motherfucker. That would be something that might push a guy into Saulville. <laughs> well, it's going to take a while for that to happen. The case is going to drag on for years. You think? Um, I mean, that's what they said in the show. No, but I mean, like that could be that so. could, that 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 would be an interesting long term arc for this. Yeah. So, uh, put Dean up on the board for that long term prediction. Bill from Houston, surprised nobody mentioned this in your podcast, but after Saul was in the old lady's house and a film crew said that they didn't have a dolly for a steady cam work, they said it would cost extra, and at that moment we got a lady, who I can't remember her name, come down the stairlift for the I'm ready for my close-up shot. If you watch the commercial, they used a vantage point from the camera on that stairlift as a substitution for a steady cam dolly, slowly going down the stairs to end up in front of her face on the commercial. Nice little touch I saw pay off with the, within the episode, and man, I... That's right on, and I feel stupid for not noticing it. Yeah, it's brilliant. They set it up, and he even you're even watching him frame it, and ah, oh, yeah, it's so good. I can't, I can't even believe that the writers, directors, whatever people on set thought of that because that is just perfect. And they even drew attention to it, like uh-huh. oh, you don't bring the dolly, dollars cost extra. It's, 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 it makes me so happy just to realize that they they care that much about it. Uh, so nice catch. A bunch of people caught that. You're the first one to send it in. Apparently, if you want to talk about attention to detail, I saw this on Reddit. Somebody pointed out that the dollar bills, that the 20s and 100s that Tuco's counting, are all they're from of the, the era. Right, they're like yeah. 2000. Like, sure. They're, they're a bunch of like pre-2003 bills mm-hmm. and then like a couple of post-2003 bills like mixed in. Like you'd expect. Like sure. you would get with a new bill in circulation. It's really good. Uh, they sweat the details, man. Yeah. Uh, but then again, someone pointed out in that same thread that Jonathan Banks used a bag of Kroger's peas or that with were the f- new design. What are you going to yeah. do? You can't keep a nine, a ten year old bag of frozen uh, peas. Probably, I have some old shit in my freezer. <laughs> I could dig something out for him. Give me a call, Vince. Give me a call. I'll hook you up. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Ross from Georgia said, hey guys, listen to your latest Saw podcast and felt compelled to comment on your theories regarding Stacy's motivations for complaining of gunshots near her home. Okay. My gut told me that, like Mr. Sepinwell's mm. theory, she did indeed fabricate the story to see if Mike would financially back a new home. Unlike him, however, my thought process steered me to think that she wanted out of her current home due to being surrounded by memories of her deceased husband, combined with the fact of Mike already proving he is ready, willing, and resourceful and bending over backwards for she and his granddaughter. Um, my only problem with that is, didn't Stacy's uh, New Mexico home is not the home that they that her son got murdered in? That was in Philadelphia, right? She had to move, to so she's already away gotten from away from the memories. Yeah, uh, I think that's true. I, I just 
I don't think that's the case. I don't think Stacey's manipulating Mike. I don't either. I still don't. I mean, I think she's dealing with issues. More shit can come to light, but I. Yeah. But that's my reading on it. Uh, he continues. I don't think Stacy thought the newspapers were gunshots. I believe the only reason Mike entertained the notion is directly attributed to sleep deprivation. <laughs> Uh, for 40 years <laughs> straight but yeah he says it looks like Mike had dozed off or was about to doze off so he was a bit groggy and he jumped to conclusions I agree like you know newspapers hitting the sidewalk don't sound like gunshots but it could to someone who's listening yes. very closely and yes. he's freaked out and, and on edge you come out and you see a weird niche you know a notch under right. your, your house and what are you gonna do it could it could um, he goes, hey, uh, Nate says, hey, guys, uh, I'm new to your site, but I love your Better Call Saul, Saul podcast. One thing is getting me. His name is Howard. Harry Hamlin was a bad actor in the 80s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's, I'm <laughs> sorry. I know you're new to the site, but this is my thing. I mispronounce and shuffle up names. And well, I was doing it, too, last episode. Both of us were. I mean, is, I, uh, Harry Hamlin. We. The problem is we just got off Mad Men last year. Harry Hamlin is a real guy. Sure. <laughs> and he's on this show that we also covered. Yes. It's real difficult not to confuse the two. And, you know, you, you throw a guy at me like Bender Dick comes a bunch, and I it's asking me to fail. It's asking yeah. me to fail. I mean, Howard Hamlin's a pretty easy name. But when you have a Harry? Right. That's very confusing. On a loss, yeah. So mm-hmm. and it's it's they're setting me up to fail. The, the Vince is this is revenge for the whole Villigan thing. Uh, Shep says, in case you guys are still debating, I read the yellow recap on AMC's website. I don't know what the yellow recap is. Uh, I've been getting letters from Saul Goodman. I don't know if he's talking about that, but <laughs> uh, but the quote from the AMC website about this last episode is: Stacy and her daughter sleep soundly in Kaylee's tiny bed, having finally convinced Stacy to let him stay over. Mike. Lies awake on her couch. Gotcha. Boom. He's so, staying over at her house. So what the fuck? Is Kaylee's bed right next to her couch, or is that a cutaway shot? That's a cutaway shot. And okay. I, I never thought it wasn't. All right. Yeah. I was very like you cross a wall, that. and then, the, yeah, it's, it's one of those deals. Huh. Okay. That that makes sense, I guess. Uh, Brian S. says another, another little deep cut. Did you notice the pig that Mike replaced the batteries on for Kaylee? Same pig that Mike used to distract the hitman that Lydia hired to kill him at Chow's house on Breaking Bad. Fact. Right. Fact. Here's here's how you can tell which weeks we do and don't read Reddit. By how many of those little <laughs> details we miss. Because they're inevitably on Reddit. Well, the other thing is... Um, and I feel like I got it, them this week. Sometimes we miss them by a day. That's and the other true, thing yeah. is sometimes there's so many, like... Uh, and I tend to, I guess... I like that trivia, I like hearing that trivia, but when I'm reading for personal interest, as there's most of my research, I'm going down like more plot oriented and motivation right. things. What do people think about the people this? like what about the the way what about the motivations, especially since this was so many layers and wheels within wheels. I gravitate yeah. more towards that and I see a link that's like imager. And I'm kinda like, uh this is probably gonna be a stupid you know, right, it's gonna be my. Did anyone head else remember? On a, did it, my face win? Blah yeah. blah blah, and like right. that's, that's kind my of low face when I realized posts. I could get a bunch of karma by posting an easy effort bullshit. Yeah, imager link. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I the, the imager stuff uh, gets R- a little right. filtered it, out of my brain. It's more about like what questions are the people on Reddit asking because they usually mm-hmm. have a lot of good, uh, insightful questions. Yeah, like they approach it from angles I don't necessarily immediately think sure about. it's crowdsourcing insight i mean and it's important it. for us as as kind of part of the community to talk about what the community is talking about right i think so 
for people so. who don't get connected to it all. Plus, like, there's very few things I do just because other I think other people would like it. I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty... I think both of us together are pretty good representations of what the community <laughs> is looking for in this kind of thing yeah his head is swelling here in the studio i'm just you know the podcast from outside (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck well you disagree with any of this analysis uh i don't know if i disagree with it i just wouldn't i wouldn't make that call okay well i mean that's that's just me i don't like to take credit for anything now i feel like a giant asshole well maybe you should i feel like a giant unwashed (laughs) asshole i better cover it by moving on travis says my wife and i are are, oh this is a cool little offer my wife and i are heading to paley fest this saturday for the better call salt panel chances are i won't get the opportunity but just in case i figured i'd check in with you guys is there questions you would like for me to try to ask them so apparently they might have audience participation what are you going to do when jonathan banks dies <laughs> Too soon. George Martin comes flying in from the side exit and kicks your ass. Uh, another guy who's probably tired of people asking him. Yeah. You're old. What are we gonna get our book? <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I don't. I mean, I I thought I told him we'd think of a question, and then also I'm crowdsourcing the the questions now That's because I, I just found out that I myself am not representative <laughs> of what the Better Call Saul community wants out of a pot. So I. I can only turn to the community for help with this crutch that I have. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you got till you know probably Thursday. You know, you know Thursday, Friday. I don't want to leave this guy hanging day of. Um, so there, we'll see yeah. if we can pass him on. And and again, not a great shot. I mean, if you go into these things, or even if they do answer for uh, open for questions, it can be a cattle call and you get right. trampled on the way over to the mic. So, but thanks for the offer, Travis. Solid. Reginald, uh, oh no, I this suffered from in, like a transporter malfunction that copy and paste. I got half of his feedback. Um, oh, shit. Well, shit. Uh, so I'm going to skip this first paragraph because I can't make the, the, the meaning out. He says, Oscar Wilde is often credited with basically saying that a cynical person knows the price of everything but the value of nothing. This would apply to Nacho and Jimmy. This is a direct answer to your question about what did Mike mean. Okay. I remember now what this is about, even though I mangled the first paragraph. Um, in order to get their way, these two young bucks, uh, which he's talking, he's comparing, he's comparing Jimmy and Nacho to Mike and Chuck. Okay. These two young bucks try to tempt Mike and Chuck with some of their most valuable resources. Nacho tries money and Jimmy offers up his very identity, but the two old birds stand their ground, refuse to compromise on their principles. They show a measure of fortitude and wisdom that the two youngsters can't even begin to fathom. Chuck tries to reason with Jimmy, but Mike doesn't even bother. Score two for the Greybeards. So he's saying that the the mm. uh, the old guys of character and extremely high levels of both character and smarts came off looking the better than the the young bucks. Uh, I, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. I I'm not a hundred percent sold on you know the things that Chuck is doing, but I think his reason for doing them would you say the ends justify the means? Yeah, sort kind of. Uh huh. Like I think there there might be. I I don't like I don't necessarily like the end that he's going for either. Like I'm sure I just having Jimmy out of the law is not good for Jimmy. No, but he's it's he's good he's, he's law, like dealing but... like he says he's dealing with an alcoholic that won't in his opinion in his mind he's dealing with an alcoholic that doesn't want to admit he has a problem and it's not like. 
final season bubbles of the wire here. It's not like Jimmy has made a whole lot of effort to re. He has put in a lot of work with his law, but in what little sample we've seen him, he casually breaks the law and does stuff that we get lawyers in serious uh, trouble. Lawyers like his brother and like his lover, Kim, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to admit that. Right, and it's interesting. Like Jimmy should know better, right? Jimmy's not as young as Nacho, in in my opinion. He's old enough to know better. He's old enough to have to be sure. one of these older, uh, you know, high principled people. But he isn't. And you can look at Kim and say, well, she's about his age, and she is. You know, she understands these things a lot better than he does. Well, and the other thing is, like, you know, we're we're treating this as like they're just shenanigans, right? Yeah. But in the first season, Jimmy got involved with Tuco, almost got drug out in the desert and shot. Yeah. And let's say Tuco is in a particularly bad day, the mood that day, and it happened this year, and he decides to come find out where Jimmy lives, goes home, and wastes Kim, too. That's not, I mean, like, this this stuff yeah. that Jimmy does isn't just about necessary career. Now, he doesn't right. intend for any of that to happen. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I feel like if you if you keep in mind some of the season one stakes that he got wrapped into and back in the old Sintra days, like, they really can get scary for people like Kim that doesn't even know. Like, that's the thing. She thinks we're talking about shenanigans, right. too. She has no idea the dangerous stuff that he's gotten into and is, I'm, you know, judging from what we know the future, going to get into. So Yeah, until someone shows up at her door ready to do her harm. It's, the Sky, it's kind of a very analogous situation to Skylar White. Yeah, for sure. Like, the, the like to the extent that you think she's a bitch, it's only because she's ignorant of the very real danger she could be in. Yeah. So uh, going going back to that season one thing with Tuco in the desert uh, and knowing that he has this kind of lie detector thing he does. Yes. It's interesting there because Jimmy lies to him and Tuco senses. So he doesn't lie to him at first. Right. Uh-huh. He's like, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with this. It was just a stupid prank. Uh, and then he tells him a fake story about him being in the FBI mm-hmm. uh, or the DEA, maybe. I don't know. Uh, and Tuco buys that. So how on point is Tuco's lie detector? He's a guy. He's a crazy man on crank and meth. I don't think he's on point at all. Well, I, I thought you insinuated earlier that maybe he he was able to tell. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I don't know what I said to give you that. Impression. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. But like, I go back to like what I said last week in House of Cards. Like, I you said he was smart, and uh, that I said that made me would, think if, if he was off the the brain addling chemicals. Okay, yeah, but yeah, my right. default position is anyone that does the look me in the eyes. Uh, that's a crazy person. That's essentially you also a, stated that. Okay. That's essentially a person that's yeah. saying uh, the same kind of person saying, like, "I talk to God." Okay. Oh, do you? Do uh-huh. do I? Can I get a transcript of the? Because that's a scary thing for you to say to me. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's true. Maybe you're just crazy, and maybe God's going to tell you to kill kill me tomorrow. Uh, that I fi- I find that fully crazy behavior. If you actually believe you yeah. can tell, you know, you know that said. Okay. So this lie detector thing. It's got to be bullshit. I like, think complete so. bullshit. I mean, unless you think dog really fucked him, because I don't think Nacho does. That, it's weird to me because, like, on the Insider cast, they talk about this lie detector thing, mm-hmm. whether it's real, whether he can detect lies, and they say he kind of can. Like, he can look at you, and it's him, you, reading his body language. It's reading. I think anyone, like he's looking yeah, sure. for you to give him a reason to be angry, and if you don't, you're okay. If you set him off with with what. You know, weird stew is going on in his head. That's the thing. Like, I think that most people have a fairly well-tuned lie detector. It just doesn't work against really practiced liars. Or people that are not telling the truth, but they don't know they're not, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. Like, anyone... 
Yeah, anyone that just believe that that relies on that and does the whole like look into your eyes thing and like, oh yeah, you're either it's it's it right. seems like a bad bad deal. Are you ready for Law Talk? If, uh, bring it on. We need I want our own theme music for Law Talk by next week. It'll be just chung chung. <laughs> sure. We just law, talk, law and chung order chung. Thing. Uh Michelle's first up. She's not a lawyer. She's not even a paralegal. Wait, wait. She's a paralawyer is what I'm going to go with. A parachuting lawyer? That's <laughs> no, a, what is that, a Rainmaker riff, I think? That's what Danny DeVito calls himself in a Rainmaker, a paralawyer. I don't think I've seen the Rainmaker. Oh, you, it's it's a really, it's one of the better John Grisham movie adaptations. Uh, one why, of, why are we considering this in Law Talk if she's not a lawyer? Because it touches, I hey, I, <laughs> law talk is, is, is my corner that I share with the other paralegals and paralawyers and, 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 and people with the, you know, the, the, the putative lawyers. Anyone so, who steps in the ring is welcome. That's right. That's... Michelle stepped into the ring. Okay. She says, want to give my two cents regarding Jimmy sending out the commercial without any partner review. I, look, I work for an accounting firm, lawyer adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Both really boring, tedious jobs. It, it's yes. a firm. Anytime you're in a firm, <laughs> then then I'm, I'm, you're 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 already skirting in the law talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything we send out to a client must be reviewed by at least three people. One of them must be a partner. There's a lot oh, of musts in this must. policy. Mostly, this is to check for errors, but also has to do with firm image and standards. Eh? Brandon, this is yep. this is the case for something as simple as a letter that only one client would see. Our firm doesn't advertise on TV, but if we did and someone did what Jimmy did, I can easily imagine our managing partner losing his shit completely. As Aaron would say, he'd have an elaborate series of heart attacks. From my perspective, I, as I watched him bypass the approval process and mail out the commercial, I was immediately thinking Jimmy is in deep doo-doo here. I know they told him it was his department, but... That wouldn't negate the approval chain that I'm sure Jimmy was aware of. And she's right. We saw that in this episode. There was Mm -hmm. definitely uh, some consultation that needed to be done. I think she's aware of her correctness. Uh, She continues (laughs) to state the partners are the ones who make these decisions with regards to legality as well as legality. See? Paralawyer right there. (laughs) Right, right. She knows the word legality. As well as keeping control over the image of the firm. (laughs) In this case, as... Uh, it was a highly visible representation of their law of their firm potentially being seen by thousands of people. If Jimmy doesn't get fired for this, I'll be surprised. Something tells me lawyers would be even more anal about this stuff than accountants. Chong chong. Not fired, so he got off easy, I think. Well, is not he fired. not fired or is he on like some kind of doom of Damocles type of situation? Well, he is just by the nature of who Jimmy is. Like, there's no way he doesn't strike out here, but... yeah. For now, he can't keep from breaching ethics got two more times after this conversation in this one episode. So, right, there, there's no way Jimmy survives at this law firm. But for okay. now, he's safe. He got, okay. he got a pardon. Uh, Doug L, actual who is actual putative lawyer, a lawyer. But this is not legal advice. This is not legally no. This is this is nothing that could be. This this podcast is not a class action, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Document review is part of the discovery process. He wanted to analyze why this was a particularly cruel and unusual punishment for a lawyer of, of Kim's stature. Okay. Sometimes the documents are being scoured by the attorney detective style so that you can see if there are useful clues in there. Other times you're doing it because your opponent has asked you for all the documents that relate to a particular topic, and you have to go through them to see what to produce in response to that request. Typically, this task is assigned to paralegals or less mm. experienced attorneys. Chong Maybe chong. accountants, even. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm giving Michelle too much shit. In part because they bill at lawyer, lo, lower rates, so it costs the client less for their time doing it, and in part because it is a fairly straightforward task that does not require significant experience or legal acumen. But depending on the case and the number of documents, that could be a very long process. The reason why it's so significant this uh, is that it means whoever sentenced her to it, Chuck and or Howard, is being particularly vindictive. Assuming Kim took the quickest route to law license, she would have graduated college in four years and law school three, meaning she would have had been practicing law since about the age of 25, 25, 26, 27. And real life, uh, Ray Seorn, Ray Seorn, uh, is in her early 40s. If her character is that same age, that means she's had significant legal experience and would bill out at a much higher rate. That means that Chuck and Howard wanted Punisher, so she is a uh, was he was willing to incur a bill for her time on that task that was at least 50% higher than it should be, something he would have to explain to the client later. Or maybe hmm. he's just eating, you know, billing her out at... I don't know how that works, because billing in law is completely different than any other fucking industry I've, I've, I've participated in. Right. Some of, it, some of their work is billable. And I've been not. at places where we had to keep track of her time by the quarter hour. Yeah. But... I didn't have a universal billing rate. Like, you know, I got billed. Well, you, know, you were like, salaried? Yeah, like my company just didn't make as high margins if they had me doing junior mid-level developer shit. Right. So they didn't want to do it, but sometimes you had to make it happen. And you didn't just to be the client, well, you see, you're out of the shit, the shit programmers to put on your banana app. So we got this, we got this system architect that's doing it, and you're just going to have to eat the extra cost. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was clear to me that she was being harshly punished. Yes. Uh, Just by the fucking background noise. Like, the second time watching it, it really bothered me. I'm sitting there with my teeth on edge, and I'm like, why, why? Because there's a subtle ringing and buzzing from all that fluorescent lights that they've piped through my TV set. Yeah, is that... It's the worst. Is she down there because that's where all the documents are, or because that's where they told her to be? That's the punishment. That they explained that the corn the cornfield is where they put all of the it's either punitive or it's where all the young hustling right. lawyers trying to make their name. So that's being busted back down to the junior league is what I interpreted. Yeah, it. I guess I didn't interpret that room as the cornfield. I interpreted that as when he goes to her office and none of her stuff is there. Mm. Uh, her office was moved but to he, the cornfield. But he's I don't use that term the cornfield yes. as it as if it is a physical space in the building. Right. I just don't know if it's that basement room because how could you ever work down there? My God, that's one of the, like that's hell. one of the rules I've developed about like I'm no longer working for an asshole place. Like I've worked in places where like the it's all shitty and smells kind of funny and the lights buzz. Now I'm not saying I'm too you have good a, for that. You have that luxury. I yes, luckily yes. I've, I've Many been there, don't. done that time. I hope I never have to again. But that's yeah. one of my like if all other things being equal, I'd much rather have. <laughs> some nice lighting and, and, and windows than, than than being stuck in that shit. Which we removed all of from this studio, by the way. We covered the window. We removed the standard lighting. But I like it in here. It's nice. The it's, le- right. it's, it's, it's warmly cozy. lit. We're going to get LED lights for our next studio. These are yeah. LED lights. Well, I mean real LED panels. Like oh, the big, the big ones say, that that's, those are real actually LED. cast enough light to okay. not use webcams. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's now we're into camera talk. Yep. Next uh, hour of the You get the to podcast. make the, the para camera cuts on this one. Right. The quasi cuts. I, I am not a lighting technician. Just disclaimer. <laughs> I'm really, really None not. This constitutes uh, actual professional filmmaking advice. Nope. 
I'm I'm just doing my little my little soft shoe here. Yeah, uh, I, I'm done. As Are a we... way to say, if you'd like to send in more feedback, we love it all. Uh, and we're I can't believe how how much is blown up from last week to this week. Uh, send it to bettercastsaw at baldmove.com and also on our forums we have a weekly discussion thread and you can start a spoiler thread if you want to talk about spoiler stuff whatever it's a it's a it's it's, it's your your dime spill it at forums.baldmove.com okay we'll be back uh next wednesday with another one of these things for the next episode we're we're rapidly approaching the halfway mark next we week are it's crazy i know I've, I've, i'm dreading the end of better Ca- better call saw I except for you know you got Game of Thrones coming down the pike. I know there's I not know. A, there's, not there's really plenty a dim, of good TV. There's not I a just, dim spot on the calendar no more. I like the show a lot. So me too. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Until then, I'm Jim. Thanks for listening. I'm Aaron. <laughs>